And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is a Monday as we uh, start. Uh, well, today is the last day of February, which means tomorrow's the first day of March starting a whole new month and that has a few things that come with it as well of course with you know beginning rebalancing of portfolios two negative months in markets of course has been very tough on investors so far uh, not surprisingly though a lot of this uh, recent angst by what's going on in russia we're going to get into some of those stories this morning headlines though this morning are is that uh, there are some initial setups here for some basically some peace talks between ukraine and russia We'll see how that works out. There's very low expectations of anything coming out of that. But we'll see this morning. Futures are opening a lot lower. Not so much on Ukraine, uh, on Russia news specifically, but basically on the sanctions on Russia, removing Russia from SWIFT. Uh, this potentially has implications for a lot of things, from commodities to oil prices to financial stability, etc. cetera. Uh, one thing that we had talked about last week in particular was would this increase in geopolitical risk and of course the markets themselves sliding we've had the largest drawdown in the market since 2020 so far um, will that actually cause the federal reserve to kind of step back on their tightening program right so here we are in a position where you have a lot of geopolitical risk going on markets are already under pressure and now you're going to talk about tightening monetary policy at potentially absolutely the worst possible time so the question now is going to be in what markets are starting to price in is that the Fed won't be as aggressive as was originally expected. They were expecting a 50 basis point hike uh, at mid-month in March. It's now down to 25 basis point hike. The question now is, is does the Fed actually come out and say, you know what, we're just going to hold off on rate hikes for another month or two until our next meeting and just see how this stuff kind of sorts itself out in Russia. So again, there's a lot of things to consider here. And, you know, one of the things that we saw a lot last week, investors making a lot of panic based decisions early in the week based on this news coming out of Russia. And, and look, I certainly understand this, but I had a lot of phone calls through. It's like, get me out of the markets because, you know, this, this whole thing, you know, the whole world's coming to an end. I get it. And then on Thursday and Friday, you had a very, very strong counter trend rally, which we've been talking about since early week that we were due. We were oversold here. Three standard deviations below the mean, very oversold and due for a reflexive rally. Saw that on Friday and we used that to reduce equity exposure just a tad more. And again, we've, something we've been doing all along here on these counter trend rallies, uh, reducing risk, adding hedges, etc. So again, just that same process that we've been talking about, continuing that here. One thing to pay attention to, uh, of course, as we talk about this is commodity prices. Now, Oil prices up sharply this morning, up over about $4 because of this removal of Russia from SWIFT. Again, has implications. Also, OPEC Plus coming out this morning saying they're not really going to increase production very much here. They're going to really kind of stick to their production targets for right now. That means less supply on the global market. So oil prices are jumping here. But again, as we're coming back up this morning, we're basically only back to where we were just a few days ago. So again, we had talked about last week also that 
we had written an article for MarketWatch talking about potentially is it time to start taking some profits out of energy stocks. And that has really kind of been the, the situation here. Oil stocks have been kind of lagging here recently. Oil prices really kind of stuck here to topping process. Now, importantly, commodity prices in general have had the biggest surge uh, since really 1973 on a total return basis. Now, why is that important? Huge surges in commodity prices are actually economically depressing, right? Because the, the best cure for high prices is high prices because the higher prices go, eventually you're going to impact consumption. That's recessionary in nature. Uh, when you have a recessionary slowing economy, that is deflationary, that ultimately brings prices down. So again, oil prices here, they are going to rally this morning on this news about SWIFT, but importantly, they are very overbought. They are on currently a sell signal. And again, we really, we've just kind of been topping in here just as of late, not really going much of anywhere. So we'll see how this kind of plays out today. Uh, gold prices, of course, also, um, you know, kind of really kind of playing into the same mix and, and kind of look a lot the same way. Um, actually, that's the wrong chart. Here we go. Um, so back to gold prices. You know, this is going to be one of those things. Also, gold here, very large move, very overbought here. Again, just like oil price. Again, they look very similar here to, to what's going on, but these are inflationary in nature. And so you're seeing a lot of that kind of risk off work um, in these uh, specific areas of commodity prices. And again, this is kind of what you would expect. You know, a lot of geopolitical risk, people immediately rush into commodities. But that's had a big run already. So again, you know, kind of we talked about before about making one-sided bets into markets, being overly exuberant about one thing. When there is a resolution to what's happening in Russia, and there will be a resolution, this is not going to evolve into the Third World War here. This is going to get resolved in one form or another. When that does, you're going to see a depression in a lot of these commodity prices just on a reversal of those fears. Uh, Bitcoin also is another area that has not really worked out as expected. You know, Bitcoin was supposed to be the kind of risk off environment. It was supposed to be the replacement for gold. Remember all these stories? Um, it really hasn't. Uh, Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies in general continue to vastly underperform. And this is one of those things that we had talked about last year is that this is a speculative asset in nature. And if there was ever an opportunity for Bitcoin to shine itself, it should be today. It should be the fact that when we're coming off of SWIFT and pulling one of the major uh, players in the world off of SWIFT, and that has a potential to create a Lehman-type event in terms of financial liquidity through banks, it has that potential, this should be the risk-off asset of choice, and it's not. So again, it just kind of really tells you that this asset has really just been more of a speculative asset. It trades very closely to the NASDAQ in terms of bullish and bearish nature. And again, we've got a lot of bearish nature right now in markets. What we're going to do this morning is though, we're going to go through some of these headlines, kind of sort through some different things um, relating to what's happening in Russia, of course, and how this ultimately replies, you know, kind of focuses back onto the financial markets as well as the economy here in the U.S. Things are slowing economically fairly quickly underneath the surface. And as we continue to move out further into this year, more deflationary pressures are gonna to start to stack up here. And this is actually going to exacerbate that problem for, for the economy going forward. Again, the more risk that we have, higher prices, those type of things. It seems counterintuitive, but as I said, high prices are a cure for high prices. Again, high prices in the short term for commodity prices, and yes, definitely enjoy that trade while it lasts, 
but don't get locked into that trade long term because commodities are very cyclical in nature. And as high prices impact consumer spending, impact growth, that is going to start to create deflationary pressures and less demand. Remember, particularly when it comes to commodities, it's all about supply and demand. And when supply starts to outstrip demand, and that's occurring, right? Fracking is coming up. The number of wells being fracked are going up. In fact, right now, frackers can't find enough sand to frack. So, you know, they're out there fracking as fast as they can right now to create supply. But that's because you have a lot of demand at the moment. Now, as that liquidity surge that we had go through the economy reverses. Now, as we move further in this year, all that liquidity that we put into the economy, that $5 trillion worth of checks to households where people went out and bought new cars and new, new appliances and new lawnmowers and riding lawnmowers for their apartment complex, all those type of things. <laughs> I mean, if you've got money and you've got a two square foot yard, why not? Uh, you know, that is going to all start to reverse itself later this year. Less demand, more supply, lower prices. That's just the way it works economically. We'll come back. We'll talk a lot more about Russia this morning, markets, your money, and uh, things we've got coming up this week. Don't go away. I'm your host, Lance Roberts for The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. FAFSA. It's FAFSA season, that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake. Our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA, FAFSA. Thursday, March 10th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts, of course, as always, as we kind of dig through the latest breaking news as it's impacting markets, economy, your money. You know, lots of uh, lots of concern here, uh, of course, with markets this morning. Futures are going to open down roughly about 400 points. Now, they were a lot worse overnight. When the EU acted to remove Russia from SWIFT, that causes a lot of concern through the financial markets and immediately the Dow was down about 600 points. Now it's recovered some this morning, but there's still concern over this particular sanction because this has the potential to impact financial transactions again around the world. Brent asked me off the break, he said, uh, can you explain what SWIFT is? Uh, SWIFT is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial communications, uh, telecommunications. That's what SWIFT stands for. To make this simple, it's kind of like the WhatsApp for banks. It allows them to send secure communications between international banks in particular. Now, you don't use SWIFT here in the U.S. I was, I was explaining this to my wife uh, last night. She was asking me the same question. You don't use SWIFT in the U.S., right? So you go down to the bank. Let's say Brent goes down to the bank this morning, and he wants to wire money to 
his brother in New York, right? So you know he doesn't really have a brother in New York, but just saying this, yeah, <laughs> just example. So he wants to wire money to his brother in New York. By the way, I saw the Facebook post of uh, your son Adam came down to the studio to see you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was he very impressed with your new digs? Oh yes. Yeah, he'd seen it before. He just hadn't seen the updates. Gotcha. So yeah, he, he's he's very tall. He is. He is not. He did not get it from your side. Challenged. Of the, he did not get it from your side of the family. <laughs> it's from his mother's side. Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he got all of his good stuff from her. Mom. Actually, from me because she still has hers. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So anyway, um, so Brent wants to send money to. Let's just use real life person. He wants to send money to Adam. So he wire. He goes down to the bank. And says, "I'm going to wire money to Adam." And and the bank says, "Yes, sir. No problem." And they send a a electronic transfer of money between banks. That's it, right? You do not use SWIFT domestically. Now, if if Adam is in the UK, as an example, and he wants to borrow money over there, that's where SWIFT becomes involved. And what SWIFT does is simply, and, and again, and as I said, it's kind of like a WhatsApp of bank communications. It's simply a secure communication between banks that says, hey, there's money coming this is who it came from. This is what it's for. This is for the account. This is blah, 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 blah. It just explains everything about the transaction so that the receiving bank knows exactly what's happening, where this money's coming from, what's it's for, et cetera. So it just, it just facilitates the transfer of assets between banks. That just kind of a just, it's more complicated than this, but it's a very important system. The, t- the takeaway from this, it's a, it's a critically important system for, for banks to interact globally in the financial system. And it has the ability to impact and disrupt the financial market operations, particularly with a country the size of Russia. Let's talk about Lehman for a second. I was sitting in my apartment. You have to remember when when Lehman occurred back in 2008. I'm sitting in an apartment because I had sold my house and I was waiting to close on my new house and Hurricane Ike hits Houston, Texas. So we're all hunkered down in the middle of this hurricane and I'm watching the news headlines and Lehman files for bankruptcy Saturday morning. So what? Lehman filed for bankruptcy. It's just a bank, just an investment bank at that, just a brokerage firm. What's the big deal? The next morning, you can't do financial transactions. The entire financial market is completely seized up. Now, why is that? What did Lehman have to do with that? Lehman's bankruptcy didn't have anything to do with the seizing up of the, of the financial markets. Direct. Uh, not, uh, what I mean by that is just because they filed bankruptcy, that's not what caused the problem. What caused the problem in 2008 was when they filed for bankruptcy, everybody goes, I don't trust any of you players, right? I'm not doing business with anybody until we sort this out. And so all of a sudden, it wasn't just Credit Suisse wouldn't do business with Lehman. They wouldn't do business with anybody. So the entire financial system just literally froze up. Nobody trusts, it was called counterparty counterparty risk. 
nobody trusted their counterparties that they were doing business with. And that's what caused the financial system problem. Just And they just caused the fi whole financial system just to freeze up at that point. So nobody could transact any business. And that's why the market just went straight down for like three days after that. Now, removing Russia from SWIFT is not the same as the event that occurred with Lehman, but it has some of the same impacts is that now you've re removed a major player in the global community of financial transactions, right? Because again, Russia is a, a huge provider of, of energy and oil, et cetera. So all of a sudden, there's a cramp in the system and the risk to the markets and why the markets are down. I'm just explaining why the markets are down this morning. The risk to the markets is, is they're not quite sure what implication that's going to have on financial liquidity in markets globally, commodity prices, et cetera, commodity transactions. So that's why markets are down this morning on this news. And, and again, it's going to try to sort itself out, but markets are going to open down. Dow's down about 300 points right now. It's, their, their futures are improving, by the way. Again, down a whole lot more. Now, the fact that we're having some talks between Russia and Ukraine this morning is encouraging. There, there's, again, not high hopes that much will come out of this. There's a three-mile-long convoy uh, heading towards Ukraine right now uh, in Russia. So, you know, nobody's standing down at this point to have talks. Right. But it is helping futures improve here a bit. Now, here's my whole point about all of this. Markets are very oversold. We talked about this last week. We said use reflexive rallies to sell into. We're in the middle of this kind of unknown territory in terms of geopolitical risk right now. And I know that the first inclination is to simply go, oh, I'm going to just sell everything and go to cash. Right. Just, just get me out. The problem with that is, is that markets adjust for these events. The question is the speed at which, it, at which they adjust, but they tend to start to factor in these events fairly quickly. And particularly with sentiment extremely bearish, particularly after the, and, and particularly with markets still very oversold, um, you've got the, you know, kind of the breadth, the number of stocks above the 50-day moving average, the number of stocks at, at, at above the 200-day moving average at very, very low levels, normally at levels more associated with market bottoms than tops. You've got an administration that is making bad decisions on many fronts. Again, you know, we should be increasing oil production here as fast as we can. But we have an administration that's stopping that from happening, which means that we're very dependent upon Russian oil. But now we can't get Russian oil. This is going to potentially, and this is another reason why oil is uh, up this morning. So there's a, a lot of concerns that certainly would want to make one go, just get me out. But you have to counterbalance that psychology, right? That's emotion. That's unknown. And when something is unknown, that makes us very emotional. And we tend to make kind of knee-jerk reactions to that. Go back to your investment discipline. Look at where the technicals are. Look at where the markets are. Make some judge, uh, judgments about the amount of risk you're taking in your portfolio. I'm not saying that you shouldn't reduce risk. We've been re reducing risk for two months here. 
right? Adding short positions, reducing our equity exposure, adding bonds. We've been doing that for the last two months. We've been building into we've been building hedges in as this market's been kind of gyrating, but we're still have money exposed to markets because again, markets are very, very oversold here short term. So, and the problem for most individuals is they they tend to run out of markets and then they don't get back in until far too late. So it's always about, as we've talked about before, it's always about a game of inches. You know, just make small changes and adjust. Make small changes and adjust. Make small changes and adjust. Just kind of watch, make changes, and then watch what happens. Then make some more changes and, you know, watch what happens. But again, as markets evolve, and this is what's going to happen, is that something will happen in Russia, and one morning you'll wake up and news headlines will be that Russia withdraws from Ukraine and markets are going to be up 3-4%. That's just how markets act. Now, are we out of the woods at that point? No, we still have the Fed to deal with. <laughs> you know, the, as we've said before, this is going to be a year where volatility is certainly going to be in people's favor that like to trade stocks because stocks are going to be all over the board this year. You know, we had such a nice, calm year last year with very, very small declines, very, you know, very tepid moves in markets. We got very complacent with that. It's like, oh, this is easy. I just throw money in the markets and things go up. This is not going to be that year. <laughs> but again, and then don't forget, we also have midterms coming up later this year as well. So, I mean, we've got all kinds of stuff that is going to apply pressure to markets this year. So, again, volatility is going to be your friend or your enemy this year, however you want to look at it. But it's just what we're going to have to live with and we're going to have to navigate with. And that doesn't mean we can't make money with it at the same time. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. FAFSA. It's FAFSA season, that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake. Our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA, Thursday, March 10th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So just kind of going through a few things this morning with, you know, respect to Russia. And I, I don't want to dis I'm not dismissing the risk that Russia poses on the global economy, global markets. Look, the last time that we saw the Russian ruble collapse to this degree was when long-term capital management failed back in 1998. 
So there is implications to markets. I'm, I'm not dismissing that at all, um, which is why we've been adding a short position and reducing equity risk and adding bonds and these type of things just in case, right? You don't drive without a seatbelt just in case. I mean, you can. It's not really wise, but, you know, you can. And you can run your portfolio without being defensive. You can do that. But there's, there's a risk, right? You know, uh, if we go back to 1997, Asian contagion, right, affected markets. These things happen. You know, right now, if you live in Russia, this is, you know, one of the, you know, we talked a, a lot about in the past about hyperinflation and what causes hyperinflation. You know, hyperinflation is not a function of just prices going up because we had a lot of liquidity thrown into the markets over a couple of years and that caused people to run out and buy a lot of stuff but at the same time the economy shut down. Yeah, that creates inflation. Hyperinflation occurs when there is a loss of confidence within a country's ability to service its debts, a loss of faith in the currency itself, and that usually results from war and particularly losing war. Weimar Germany is a good example of this after... Uh, World War One. The important thing about this is morning, you know, and over the weekend, you know, Russian citizens were told, hey, if you, if you want to go to the bank and withdraw money, you can take out $20. Well, $20 doesn't do a whole lot of good for you when that $20 bill is worth half because of the currency collapse. That's what leads to true hyperinflation. And that leads to a lot of other problems economically, obviously. And, and that's, you know, so when people talk about hyperinflation, it's always important to remember what causes actual hyperinflation. It's losing a war. It's defaulting on your debt. It is an inability to create opportunity. In other words, people lose faith in your country. They don't want to do business with you. That's what causes hyperinflation. What we have currently in the U.S. is not hyperinflation. It's not a threat of hyperinflation. It is simply a function of too much money chasing too few goods. I've got an article coming out I'm writing right now, but Milton Friedman once famously quipped, he says that money is always and everywhere, uh, sorry, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Government uh, unions don't cause it. Greedy corporations don't cause it. Spendthrift consumers don't cause inflation. Only governments, because they're the ones that control the printing press. You print too much money, you get inflation. We printed $5 trillion worth of money and had no ability to increase production because businesses were shut down. Not surprisingly, too much money, too few goods. You have inflation. That's now reversing. So importantly is not to start making decisions on your portfolio based on the function that you think you're going to have inflation for the next 10 years. You're not. Inflation will be back to 2% by next year. So if you go from 7% to 2%, that is deflation or disinflation, I should say, to be technically correct. And that is going to change the dynamic on markets, economy, and commodities. So be aware of that. You know, as we talk about these things, you know, there's a lot of things going on in Russia. And there, look, there's a lot of things happening. And that are going to continue to weigh on markets. And it's just going to create a lot more volatility. Again, 
markets are, are are down this morning, not not down as much as as you know was expected earlier this morning. They are recovering a bit here. Still down. Dow uh, S and P is going to be down about forty three points. Dow is down about two ninety four right now. That we're down five hundred this morning, almost six hundred. So they've recovered about half their losses so far. But British Petroleum has decided to take a hit of as much as $25 billion to leave Russia. They have a stake in Rosneft, and they are basically liquidating that stake. BP may regret that decision at some point, but, <laughs> you know, this is their, their first reaction. Russia's bond market is collapsing because... Now, with the inability to service debt, lack of SWIFT, et cetera, people are concerned about default risk. So bond prices are collapsing. The ruble is collapsing. Russians are lined up at cash machines around the country trying to get money out. They're just trying to get their money out of the banking system so they have access to it. And this is kind of similar to what we saw in Weimar Germany. In Weimar Germany, people would take their paycheck immediately cash it, give it to their wife to go buy bread because bread was going up so fast in price that if they waited around, their paycheck wouldn't cover a loaf of bread. This is where, you know, the, the old sayings about a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread come from because that's what was happening. You know, it's interesting As you look at, you know, the Russian stock market is collapsing here. They've suspended trading on the Russian exchanges. Interest rates are up to 20% now. You know, this is very bad economically for Russia. And then again, for a dictator, <laughs> this isn't a great position to be in. You better have very good control of your population and a lot of popular support for your actions if you're going to put them through this kind of economic anguish, is, which is happening. So, you know, if you don't have a large support from your population for this type of action and the type of pain you're inflicting on them, that, that you run the risk of being deposed. That's the challenge of being a dictator. You know, decision to exclude Russian banks from the SWIFT messaging system, you know, again, that's that's the thing that results on mispayments on debts. Again, that's the risk we're talking about in the last segment re relating to that potential of the Lehman type event where banks just stop doing business entirely with other banks because they've got assets. And, and, and don't be mistaken, Russia's a huge Russia is a huge country. Every bank in the world has assets invested in you in, in Russia. Hedge funds, banks, investment banks, investors have assets invested in Russia. So don't make a mistake here that, oh, it's just Russia. There's a lot of impact globally because of what's happening in Russia. So these are all the things that, you know, and again, you know, Putin put his nuclear forces on high alert. And, you know, it's important to remember there's tactical and strategic nukes. Tactical, tactical nukes are very low-yield, target-specific. Strategic nukes are for taking out entire cities. 
you know, this is the tactical nuke side of his forces that he's put on high alert. Again, more of just saber rattling than anything else. But again, nonetheless, it is certainly concerning. Now, they're having some talks. The hope is this will lead to some the beginning stages of some type of resolution. And will we start to find out exactly what the hell does he want? That's the real question at this point for, I think, world leaders. What is it exactly do you want? You're doing this action because you want something. What is it exactly? And so these talks will give us some clues, most likely, as to what it is exactly that he wants. Is it just the fact he doesn't want the Ukraine to be part of NATO? as we talked about previously. The problem with his actions are is now it's united everybody to now put Ukraine and NATO and kick Russia out. So, you know, this may all entirely backfire on Russia at some point. We'll see. But these are all the things. I mean, again, the, 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 the list of things potentially that could go wrong for markets is certainly staggering. And I don't want to dismiss those risks at all, but I also want to temper you with the idea of making large, emotionally driven, charged decisions about your investment portfolios and making what we call a one-sided bet, going all in one direction. Because that typically winds up being the worst outcome more often than not. If it's emotionally driven, you generally make the wrong decisions. You might, be, you might feel like you're right for a while, but ultimately you wind up being on the wrong side of the trade. This, too, shall pass. And then we have the Fed. <laughs> but the point here is I just want you to keep this all into focus. Again, as we look at all these different issues, and there's a ton of them, right? There's tons of impacts. The interlinkages between banks and countries and financial systems and markets are all very delicately interwoven and one small ripple in one place has a large effect somewhere else and we don't know what those are and we won't know until one morning we potentially wake up and go oh my gosh this has happened. That's why we're hedging. That's why we're reducing equity risk. That's why we're adding bonds to our portfolio to hedge against those potential risks. But what happens just in case tomorrow we wake up and this is all resolved? And markets are up 4 or 5% in two days and you're sitting all in cash. See, those are the things that we have to prepare for and what we have to work through as investors. And it's not easy, right? This is, this is why Mike and I and... And everybody at our shop, we spend 18 hours a day working on this when we're not sleeping. Right? That's all we do is focus on these type of events and issues. And this is why it's hard to manage your own money in this type of environment. But, you know, just pay attention to technicals. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. FAVSA. It's FAFSA season, that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake. Our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA, Thursday, March 10th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
And welcome back to the show this morning. So quick sideline here for a second, because over the weekend, of course, there were plenty of headlines out. Uh, Ukraine has now removed the age limits for joining the military. It was 18 to 60. They Now they've removed all age limits to join the military. They say basically just show up with your passport. Oh, you have to have an ID to, to fight. <laughs> Not to vote. But to fight, you got to have an ID. Just joking. But it does bring up an interesting point here because, you know, this is this is the crux of the the gun control argument that occurs. And you know, it's interesting because I, I posted a, a a graphic a while back on my Twitter account, and it says. How many guns do you own? And it said most Americans, they own between zero and one, like one and three, and it had their percentages. And like 25% of Americans own more than five guns. And so I made this comment on Twitter that said, I guess I'm in the 25% bracket. And of course, it didn't take long before I got emails from people going, why do you own so many guns? It's like, well, you know, because... In Ukraine, they're literally handing out machine guns to everybody that will is willing to fight. This is why you own guns. <laughs> because this is why when, when something goes wrong, you better be able to defend yourself, right? The, your family, your homestead, etc. And this is what Ukrainians are finding out firsthand. And that was the intention of the Second Amendment to start with. But just interesting that we get there. And, you know, and ready.gov over the weekend released instructions in case of nuclear blast. Get inside the nearest building to avoid radiation. Brick and concrete are best. Remove contaminated clothing and wipe off or wash unprotected skin. If you're outside after fallout has arrived, this is important. Hand sanitizer does not protect against fallout. Do avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. And if possible, do not use disinfectant wipes on your skin. Good advice for nuclear fallout. But here's the most important advice that you should have in the event of nuclear fallout from ready.gov. Go to the basement in the middle of the building. Stay away from the outer walls or roof. Most importantly, try to maintain a distance of at least six feet between yourself and people who are not part of your household. And if possible, wear a mask if you're sheltering with people who are not part of your household. So in the middle of ready.gov, we now have COVID masking restrictions <laughs> against nuclear fallout. I'll tell you one thing. If I'm in the middle of a nuclear blast, it's going to be me on top of my kids and my wife and everybody else huddled up in a corner somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it just never ends, does it? It's just, I mean, really? I mean, I want to know who the guy was. This, what happened was is that this was in some other document. He just clipped it and stuck yeah. it in here, right? Copy and paste. Yeah, exactly. So just, just, <laughs> this is from FEMA, by the way. <laughs> These are FEMA instructions against, in case of nuclear explosion. <laughs> I'm sure this is helpful. Um, anyway, can't make this stuff up. Do we have to duck and cover? Uh, no, that it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if you have if you're if you're in the middle of a nuclear blast, that's it. Yeah, pray. 
that's you know there's some things you can do but mostly just pray i was watching uh greenland last night mm -hmm. uh, have you seen that movie i have not okay so greenland's this movie about a big asteroid hits the planet yeah and so when and of course it's a extinction level event that mm -hmm. occurs so everybody's trying to get to shelter and bunkers and they're talking about what happens you know there's gonna be three mile high waves that come from the from the impact that's going to basically flood everything you know to montana <laughs> <laughs> Um, 900 mile, nine, uh, 900 mile, 900 degree winds traveling faster than the speed of sound. So, you know, there's not much that survives it. It's kind of like a nuclear blast. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. just not much that survives it. I'm not sure masking and social distancing really work to provide you a lot of comfort in that environment. But FEMA says your middle name becomes vaporized pretty much. You know, it's interesting right now, you know, they're, they're talking about these sanctions and you know they've applied sanctions directly to putin and the 30 oligarchs in russia which have all the money and and this is the important thing i was thinking about this over the weekend you know we have the technology to track down where all of his money is right we've got all these hackers you know anonymous has been doing all kinds of hacking over the weekend they've hacked military jets they've done all kinds of stuff uh to try to impede the progress of, of russia at this point so you know good for you but you know, we have the technology to track down where all these assets are, right? They're not that hidden. They're not completely hidden. They're hard to find, but they can be found. I'm sitting there saying, why don't we put our, our crack team of NSA, CIA guys on, on task here, go find all of Putin's assets and take them, right? And say, look, I've got all your assets. If you want them back, stop what you're doing. You know, one way to, to get to anybody is to take their money away from them. Same thing for the 30 oligarchs. If you want to get rid of a dictator, take away the money of the people behind the dictator, and they will pretty much get rid of the dictator to get their money back. And so what you do is you say, look, you withdraw from the Ukraine, we'll give you your money back. And then once they withdraw from the Ukraine, you say, I'll tell you what, I changed my mind. I'm going to give you half your money back because the other half is going to go to rebuild Ukraine. <laughs> Maybe you think twice next time. But this is going to be that, you know, there's an article out this morning talking about Putin's hidden billions in wealth. And they're saying that that defangs all these financial sanctions. How much hidden wealth does Ru uh, Russian president, I'm, I'm reading from the article, Russian Vladimir Putin actually hold? Before 2016, the personal wealth of the Russian leader was shrouded in mystery, but a series of leaks from inside the law firms and banks that dominate offshore finance. Now, there's a very interesting um, show on Netflix called the Panama Papers that talks about the Panamanian law firm that housed all kinds of offshore accounts from everybody from Hillary Clinton to the Clinton Foundation to Vladimir Putin and offshore wealth that was hidden from public disclosure. Including, and, and again, this is from those Panama Papers and the Pandora Papers, which was another um, set of releases of these secret documents in October of 2021 that offered some clues that President's vast wealth, President Putin's vast wealth stretches uh, well beyond Russia's border. The only problem is that since most of this hidden wealth is officially registered in the names of others, often close friends or even former lovers of the president whom he's known for years, it makes it difficult for U.S. sanctions to be effective. Doesn't mean we can't find them and doesn't mean we can't go get them. But it does make sanctions a bit more difficult. Officially, Putin earns about $140,000 a year. Of course, that's a lot less now that the ruble has collapsed. 
and owns a modest apartment in, in uh, Moscow, but several assets believed to belong to the Russian president include a yacht known as Putin's Yacht and a massive billion-dollar DACA on the Black Sea known as Putin's Palace uh, have now been widely publicized. It's estimated that he's worth um, you know, well in excess of, of multi-billions of dollars uh, in terms of his total net worth. And, and not surprising, particularly when you start going through. It's kind of like Saddam Hussein had you know, just millions and millions and billions of dollars of, of wealth that was just kind of stashed everywhere, bunkers, et cetera, gold bars. You know, it's there. It's findable. Just a question of going about to do it. Anyway, um, so as we get ready to wrap up the show this morning, again, uh, futures are improving. We're only down about 270. Oh, we're only down. <laughs> we're only down 279 this morning. Again, much better than where we were earlier when we were down almost 600 uh, last night as the sanctions were put into place and the removal of Russia from SWIFT. Um, two-year yield is falling this morning. Ten-year Treasury is down to 1.92, so bonds are going to perform well today. Uh, Bitcoin actually rising here a bit this morning um, as well. Oil prices up about 3.8% this morning. Brent up about 2.7%. Again, that doesn't get you back to where you were, but again, oil prices are, are going to be up this morning. And, uh, of course, we'll see how the day plays out. You know, it, does this initial uh, kind of sell-off get bought and, and stocks kind of rally, or do we kind of have this initial sell-off and then we go lower today? Don't know. Um, we had two very strong day, days last week, a lot of short covering, driving the markets higher on Thursday and Friday. A bit of a pullback today won't be surprising. Um, the question is, is, can it remain a controlled pullback or is this a liquidation type event today? We'll see once the market opens. And of course, we'll update you as needed tomorrow when we get uh, you know back here on the show. But again, if you have any questions or comments, get by the website. I've got an article out this morning talking about a March rally. We've had two negative months in the markets, um, a very long stretch of selling here. And March tends to be one of the stronger months of the year, particularly when that month follows two negative months preceding that, which has very rarely happened in history. So Again, there's a lot of things that are kind of building up for March that says markets could perform better this coming month just from a technical basis. And again, any resolution that we get on the Ukrainian front will certainly also benefit markets, particularly if that resolution is combined with a more dovish Fed who kind of backs off that 50 basis point hike. There's a, there's a real potential here. There's a lot of negative sentiment in the markets that could lead to a very, fairly sharp um reflexive rally doesn't mean we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination but there's some decent upside in the markets from these current levels if we get any type of good news at all so again this is one of the reasons why you want to be careful getting too negative um, particularly at this stage of the game because we're already so far into this and markets price these things in and, and markets adjust for these things fairly quickly um, and start looking for the more optimistic side of these outcomes. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Uh, I'll have three minutes on markets and money. We'll go through commodities and gold and markets this morning. Uh, that'll be out here just in a little bit. All on the website, of course, along with our latest blog posts. Our newsletter is out as well. It's all on the website to help you manage your money better, help you do the right things with your money, of course. Realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.
to his last word.